Good morning. My name is Bill Malone. I'm community care pastor here at Mannheim BIC Church. We're in a series going through the book of Acts. Uh, this is just our third week. And what we're doing is we're highlighting stories from the, this book of Acts, the New Testament book, that tells the story of the early Christian church. And today we're talking about a man named Stephen, and we'll be looking at his story. Now, by saying what I'm going to say, I'm giving away the end of the story, but I, I do know what I'm doing here, I think. Um, Stephen is known as the first martyr of the church, which means that he was the first person to die because of his faith in Jesus. So that's the end of the story. Um, but it's important just to say a few things. Stephen, being a martyr, it means witness. That's what the, the word means. And so it's saying that Stephen died because he was a witness of his faith in Jesus. And so that's what we will be looking at as um, we, we jump into the story. But I first want to frame it in a broader way. Um, one of the underlying pieces of this story was that Stephen, when he was suddenly and unexpectedly thrust in really what was the crisis that led to his death, his response showed that there had been a lot that had gone on beforehand and a lot that, in a sense, he must have anticipated or prepared himself so that when the end came in the horrific way that it did, we're seeing that there were things that happened with his story um, that we can speak of in this way that's up on the screen. There was a preparation for what was ahead. Now, just like Stephen not knowing that his faith in Jesus would lead to his death, none of us know all that's ahead of us. And yet the point of this is that we can view the ordinary things that we go through now, as well as the gifts that we're given, the the experiences that God gives us, as preparation for the things that are ahead. Again, we don't know what they are, but we can and hopefully intentionally do that kind of thing. With this, I'm thinking of things like the the recent story, the Southwest Airlines um, jet, right? The engine broke off. I mean, this horrendous kind of thing. But what really stood out, um, sadly, of course, one person died, but the pilot remained incredibly calm. If you listen to the audio of her talking to the traffic control people, she kept her cool in a huge way in describing what had happened. But it seems as though, because of her previous experience, she was a, a Navy fighter pilot, that she had been through enough in her earlier experiences that, in a sense, it prepared her for the crisis. She didn't want it, didn't look for it, but when it came, she was ready, and she was prepared in some way. And I think this is true in many areas of life. You think about his parents, right? When you're a first-time parent, everything's new. You don't know what this baby's thinking or doing when he or she cries, and you're just sort of at a loss until you pick up some experience. But did you ever notice when number two comes along? number three, maybe more, you calm down because you've been down this road. You, you know that some of what's going to happen and you just don't get quite so flustered, right? It can be this way for people who jump into emergencies, whether EMS workers or police or firefighters. Um, there's a lot of preparation and a lot of practice that goes into that before they ever get a call. But even once they've had some experience under their belts, especially for the person who's leading the charge into that emergency, 
When they've been through that experience before, they, they've learned some of what they need to do. And so there's just a, a much more capable sense for those under that person's leadership when they, that kind of thing happens. In business and work, I think the same thing really is true. There's a lot of experiences that we go through, and as, as you go through them, you learn that there are ways that you can respond because there's inevitably going to be some tricky situations that come up. We all know that. Um, the longer you work, the more you're in business, you, you understand these kind of things. And again, I think the same is true of people in all sorts of situations. And here's what it comes down to. A good response in a crisis doesn't come in a vacuum. There is preparation from beforehand. Maybe not in that exact situation, but it didn't come in a vacuum. They've learned from the past. Now, it's important to also say this, that just going through an experience doesn't mean that you've learned from it and that you're better prepared for something ahead, right? Um, There's enough people that just don't handle it very well and, and don't really learn from it. But when we intentionally look at the experiences that we've been through, when we intentionally seek to learn from them and to grow out of it, and we recognize what God is doing, well, then I think we can be better prepared for what's ahead. And I think this is what we'll see with Stephen's life, that he took the experiences that he'd been through earlier, and he allowed God to fill his life with some godly qualities so that when the point of crisis came, his response, even with a horrible way it ended, still affected many people. So let's read through this first part of the story. If you have your Bible or device, Acts chapter 6, it'll be up on the screens as well, starting at verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. There were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Now, this is not the first time in the the book of Acts that we run across opposition. It happened before with the apostles. Now, we didn't look at that story just because we're, we're highlighting certain ones, but this is not the first time. Um, but this one, this one ended up much worse than the first one. So the opposition came up for Stephen. What we might call the first phase of the opposition came in the form of a debate. There were Jews from a certain synagogue who began to argue with Stephen. Now, it doesn't say what they were debating about, but from Stephen's speech and their reaction to it, the, despite, the dispute was most likely about Jesus and how believing in him reflected on certain Jewish beliefs, particularly having to do with the temple and with the law. But these men were no match for Stephen. Did you notice that combination that it talks about? The wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. And so these men, they just couldn't get the advantage of in the, in the debate. 
But then the opposition moved on to the second phase. Since the debate didn't work, slander was the next step. By accusing Stephen of blasphemy against both Moses and God. Now, the charge of blasphemy means that you're speaking against God and God's things um, at its most basic sense. This was really serious, okay? So it it really ramped up, okay? This was not a a true accusation. It was made up, um, most likely in the form of a bribe. But they began with this, or they, they moved on to this charge of blasphemy. But it went one more step beyond that to the third phase of opposition, which was continuing to the point of arrest and the point of violence. Two specific accusations were made against Stephen, that he had been speaking against the temple and against the law. And both those beliefs were at the heart of the Jewish faith. Now, being brought before that high council, some of you would have a a version that might say Sanhedrin, right? It was a group of religious leaders in Jerusalem at the time. Stephen would have been aware that this was not good because not that long before, probably only just a few months, Jesus had been before this same group. And Stephen knew where that led. It led to Jesus' death. So Stephen, we don't know what was going through his mind, but he probably recognized it's not going in a good direction. But then the chapter ends, this amazing verse. At this point, everyone on the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. An amazing thing. The only time we come across this kind of thing, other than Moses in the Old Testament, where his presence and his appearance radiated God's favor and his presence at a time of great need. Now, it's important that we, we just are clear with what we're reading about here. Before we go any further, I, I just want us to understand that this is what's called persecution, right? That's the word that's, that's most often used for this kind of thing. It can take many forms. The most extreme is what we're going to continue reading shortly about Stephen, where he went to his death. That's the most extreme form. Now, I have to think sometimes, what is it? What's behind it? Why would there be people that get so angry and so enraged that they would go against God's people, even to the point of putting someone to death? Well, I think it comes down to two things, right? First one is Satan. Second one is the sinfulness of people. That might sound overly simplistic, but I think that really gets to the heart of it. See, Satan, as we've got up there, means adversary. And that means Satan is against God, and he is against God's people. So no surprise that Satan would be opposed to someone like Stephen. No surprise at all there. Um, But he also then works in people to get them to take these sort of horrific actions against someone, again, even to the point of death. Now, we don't really see persecution to that extreme here in the U.S., but it still does happen occasionally in other countries that there are people who die for their faith in Jesus. In fact, there are some ministries and groups, their sole purpose is to make people in free countries like ours aware of what's going on with them, to pray for them in all the distress that they're going through. But we do see some persecution here in different ways. It can show up in ways like unprovoked opposition to churches or Christian groups. It does happen. It can be seen in economic impositions on businesses, sometimes false accusations, and other ways. It does, it does happen. But we need to make sure that we don't make every difficulty that we go through some expression or, or thinking that it's persecution. I, I remember there was a, a small group that my wife and I were part of, and there was a woman in the group who, 
at one, one meeting, she asked us to pray for her. She was going through a difficult time at work. And she actually used the word persecution. And as the story went on, what it came down to is she had a very demanding manager, as managers can be, right? You know, we have expectations. Um, but more likely, she really wasn't cutting or hitting the mark with what she should have been doing at work. She really wasn't doing her work as well as it could have been done. And when I heard persecution, we thought, eh, that's really pushing it here. Um, when really it just came down to she wasn't doing her job very well, and her manager wasn't happy. Um, that's all it came down to. So again, we need to understand that not everything, that <laughs> when it doesn't go well, it's not a persecution. There's a verse in First Peter that draws a distinction between difficulties because of our faith and difficulties because of things where we've just messed up. And here's what it says. Um, If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble. I love this one. Prying into other people's business. Don't you love that one? So if you're going to be in trouble, don't, don't have it be something stupid that we've done ourselves or something illegal or that kind of thing. And then it ends. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. And that's what this is about. Now, coming back to the story in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, after he had these charges brought against him, he recognized he was not in a good place. He gave a lengthy defense with these religious leaders who were actively opposing him. Now, whether he knew that he was going to actually pay the ultimate price or not, we don't know. But as a Jew himself, he spoke with these Jewish religious leaders in a way that they would understand. Now, the first couple of verses of chapter 7 are up on the screen. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these accusations true? And this was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. And then he launched into his defense. Now, it's 50 verses, okay? We're not reading it, okay? It would take too long, but it is worth reading. So I would strongly recommend it. But what it comes down to is that Acts chapter 7, what Stephen said reads as though it's a brief history of the Old Testament, focusing on what God was doing through his people. Now, it doesn't cover everything, but it covers four main events and people. First one, Abraham and the patriarchs, then Joseph, Moses, a lengthy section, and finally David and Solomon with the temple. And what he was doing was more than just reciting a bunch of history, okay? He was making a some very clear points in his own defense to these people. And he, again, was speaking in ways they would understand. So, first point, in response to being accused of speaking against the temple, what he stressed in these stories was that God was not bound to one earthly place, in particular, Jerusalem. What he talked about was that God, throughout Old Testament history, regularly appeared to people in different places, And when he quoted from Isaiah chapter 66, the point was God is bigger than any one place. So as important as the temple was, he was saying God is not restricted to the temple. The second point that he wanted to make, he was accused of speaking against God's law. And so Stephen reinforced his respect for Moses as the lawgiver, spoke highly of it. But he also included some scriptures that Israel often turned away from what God had said. And the phrase that he used is, our fathers refused to obey Moses. And then, 
we come back to the story here. So if you still have your place in Acts 7, this strong statement starting in verse 50. Now, remember Pastor Brian last week talked about boldness? This is boldness, all right? Um, You stubborn people, all right? There's a way to start, okay? Going to get their attention. You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders, no surprise, that's my word, right? The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And they put their hands over their ears and began shouting, They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge him with this sin. And with that, he died. This ancient, horrific practice of stoning, execution by stoning, where they literally would pick up as many stones of a decent size and throw them at someone. And you do it up close. That was not just something the Jews did. They did it, but other cultures did as well. Now, Stephen's defense had been fairly straightforward up to the point where we started reading. It's the history that he was recounting. But when he directed his very, very strong comments at the Jewish leaders, they immediately flew into a rage and began right with their own hands to put him to death. Now, the intensity and emotion of Stephen's death doesn't easily come across in our modern modern versions. There was a terrific noise and the rage of the men of the Sanhedrin, then Stephen being dragged out, this horrific method of execution by throwing stones at him, and his loud cries and pleading at the end. It really was a scene of awful violence. There's no way to sugarcoat it. And yet in the midst of it, in the midst of it, did you catch this? Stephen received a vision of Jesus. But this time, Jesus was standing. See, up to this point, the Bible had said Jesus went to heaven at his ascension and sat down at the right hand of God. Here, he's standing. And a lot of people think he got up to welcome the first martyr of his church who was dying because of his faith in him. And reminiscent of Jesus' words at his crucifixion, you might have caught the illusions, but this time directed right at Jesus, Stephen prayed that he would receive his spirit and forgive these people who were putting him to death. And at that, he died. And so Stephen became the first of many who went to death and still do, still do today, for their faith in Jesus. Now, we're going to put up on the screen a painting of this scene by the well-known Dutch artist named Rembrandt. 
This was an early painting of his, um, simply called The Stoning of St. Stephen. It is at a, in a museum in Lyon, France. And you can make out some of the characters. Don't know how accurate some of it is um, with their clothing, just other parts of it, but I think on the whole he gets the scene right. Um, you see Stephen on his knees there, the people with the stones right around him. On the left are the religious leaders on horseback, and that dark scene, Rembrandt's characteristic light and dark. And then in the back, near the top, you see the man sitting and the coats on his lap. Um, that's probably representing Saul. Now, there's another part of this painting that's worth showing to you, and that's why we're zooming in. Right? You see Stephen again at the bottom there, right above him. See that man in the middle? Um, that is most likely a self-portrait of Rembrandt. Now, he did not often do this, but he did sometimes that he would put him, himself into a scene in one of his paintings. And he did it several times with scenes of the crucifixion, making the point that he would have been just like one of these people lifting Jesus up on the cross. And his point here, he's saying, I would have probably been in the crowd. You know, because we'd like to think we would never do anything like that. We wouldn't take part in it. But boy, crowd pressure, the peer pressure can be really strong. And Rembrandt, he was no saint. If you know his story, an amazing artist. But I think he had this one right, absolutely right, that none of us can say we would never take part in something like this. Because he knew he could. And I think that that makes a very strong statement to us. Now, what do we do with this story? See, one of the challenges of the book of Acts or any part of the Bible that has a lot of stories to it is that sometimes the stories are just, they, they happen once. And so it, it can be a little more difficult to draw out of the story what it means for us in 21st century America. And I think that's the case here with Stephen. Um, I think it's safe to say that none of us in this room expect to die by stoning, right? It's going to happen, right? But, but hear this, right? At the same time, it is likely, very likely, that, that some or many of us will face opposition for our faith in Jesus. And so we need to look for what we can draw from this by going back to where I started. What are the things that God has taken you through now that can be seen as preparation for something ahead? Two things I think are takeaways for us, and again, tying them back to where we started. See, again, when Stephen was suddenly thrust into this crisis that led to his death, his response showed that there had been a lot that had gone on before that that prepared him for that crisis. His response, it didn't come from nowhere. He was as prepared as he could have been. So the first takeaway, it comes from the word that's most used often, or most often used for Stephen in these two short chapters in Acts, full, that he was full of various qualities or in one, the, the first one, the Holy Spirit. Five different qualities are talked about here with him as him being full. First one, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Three times he was said to be full of the Spirit. And so what it's saying is there was something unmistakably apparent about him that made it obvious that he had allowed the Holy Spirit in him to really rise to the surface, that he allowed the Holy Spirit to fill him just the same way that he can do with any of us, but to have, whole, have control of his life. Second quality, he was full of wisdom. And that's the practical sense of seeing solutions to the complexities of life. 
And what's really interesting, the first place where it talks about him, he was administering food. He was helping to manage the distribution of food to a bunch of people in the early church. And you might think, what's so special about that? Well, it was a necessary thing. The point there is, don't see anything that we do in the service of God as not important. It is. But Stephen had that practical sense of figuring out how to best do it. And it made a big difference for the people that were being fed. Third thing, he was also full of faith. But he trusted God through and through in every area of his life. He was full of grace. He had that freeing spirit of being open with God and accepting of God's people, recognizing that the abilities he'd been given came from God, not from himself. And finally, it says that he was full of power. He'd been given the ability from God to perform the wonders and miraculous signs that happened. Um, The only other person, uh, or not too many, I should say, the first one outside of the apostles that were able to do miracles. Now, this is a mighty combination in one person. And you don't see it mentioned of anybody else. Um, There's that sense of this is sort of a one of a kind. But I think we can say any of these five can be ours as well. I mean, I'd love to meet somebody that has all five of them. I don't. I know I don't. Um, But I'd really love to meet someone with it because what an amazing combination of qualities to have. Um, I, I think it starts with the first one being full of the Spirit. Because, again, that is allowing God's Holy Spirit who is in us simply to have control of us, right? It's, it's not complicated. It's just letting him fill us. And the Bible speaks often of this kind of thing. And then all the others, I think, drew from that. that these other God-honoring qualities came from that. Now, in ourselves, we might not feel very wise or very gracious or any of these things, but we can all continue our learning our growing in God's ways, and gaining from our experiences. See, we can all be full with these things as we let God do that in us. Mixed with giving the Holy Spirit control of the entirety of our lives, boy, what an amazing thing when that, when that happens. And what preparation for what might be ahead for any of us. Now, the second takeaway from Stephen and his story goes a little further with the question, how did his life prepare him for his death? And there are a couple of pointers for, for this. His lengthy defense, what, again, we skipped it, but I'd encourage you to read it. It's a brilliant summation of the Old Testament story. And what it reveals is that this man, again, in the moment of crisis, he didn't have a chance to, to grab his scroll or his book and to say, ah, wait, l- let me look this up, or you guys check this for me. No, he, he knew it, and he came out with it. And so it's saying that there was a deep reserve of the scriptures in his life that he had, again, over a long period of time, he had let God's word soak deeply into him. And so when the crisis came, it just came right up to the surface. But the second pointer comes from what he said when he was dying, because there were allusions to Jesus when he died. The two things it says that Stephen said, Receive my spirit and forgive them for what they're doing. That's the same thing Jesus said. And so I think what this tells us is that Stephen also had a close relationship with Jesus, and especially he reflected deeply on the death of Jesus. So that, again, when the crisis came, what came to the surface? 
it's no surprise that Stephen's words reflected what Jesus went through. So this is a story of Stephen. And what his life has to teach us is that we need to be ready for whatever some sort of opposition might be in our lives. We don't know what it might be, but I think, again, it's likely that we could. Again, we won't likely experience what he did, but we can learn from his example to be ready for whatever's ahead of us. And I've said it already, but it's important to say, none of us know all that's ahead of us. Now, sometimes we've got ideas. We, we know certain things that, that are probably ahead, but we don't know all that's ahead of us. It's a good thing, right? It's a good thing sometimes that we don't know what's ahead. But what we can do is take what we're going through now, learn from it, grow from it, develop it, let God shape us so that when the things that happen that we don't know about right now, we will be as prepared as we can be. So will you join me as I pray? Lord, we thank you for the story of Stephen. We're not glad to read about his death and the way it happened at all, but we thank you for his faith that stood strong right to the end. And thank you that you had prepared him and he let you prepare him for what happened. And so may we be like that. May we see what you allow to happen in our lives, just the people we are with our personalities, the gifts we have, the strengths we have, and may that all come together in you shaping us to prepare us for what's ahead. Lord, we surrender those things because we don't know what's coming. Um, We're glad we don't, but we're glad that we can surrender these things to you. So I pray that you will, again, shape us and make us the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.